Hey team, this is Raphael and welcome to Ask Me Anything for today, Friday the 6th of November 2020. We have a bunch of questions today, so let's just get straight into it. Elsa says, hi Raphael, I love listening to your AMA segments. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I was wanting to ask your opinion on what exercises or rehab to do to strengthen a leg or knee area after a full knee replacement, especially an exercise to target the VMO too, please. The operation was nearly three years ago. The client is 70 years old who keeps fit riding and some light weights but wasn't given any specific exercises to strengthen around the knee area, quad and calf. So now there is a reasonable difference in muscle size from one leg to the other. Thank you, Elsa. Uh, Well, Elsa, uh, the knees are actually pretty simple to strengthen. So uh, after, after t- in a total knee replacement, they uh, essentially chop out, uh, you know, depends on um, the, you know, varies a little bit case by case, which, which parts of the bones they replace. But um, in a total knee replacement, they chop out basically the end, you know, the bottom end of the femur, the thigh bone, and the top end of the tibia, the shin bone, and they replace those with uh, a prosthetic um, often uh, titanium, I believe. Um, and then they uh, reattach, uh, either reattach the muscles or in some cases they can leave the muscle attachments uh, in place. Depends how much of the bone they cut out. So uh, the muscles that you need to strengthen are basically the whole leg. Um, many of, so the, obviously in the knee, you have the quadriceps at the front, they straighten the knee and the hamstrings and the calf at the back, as you say, they are both involved in flexing the knee. So gastrocnemius, the larger of the two calf muscles, the, basically the calf muscle that you can see when you look at someone's calves, um, is a knee flexor as well as an ankle plantar flexor. So, um, excuse me, the hamstrings and the calf to flex the knee. Then you have a whole bunch of muscles at the hip that also cross the knee. So, uh, for example, the gluteus maximus and the tensor fascia lata uh, both insert into the iliotibial band, which inserts uh, below the knee. Uh, Then you have the gracilis and the sartorius. Uh, The gracilis is an adductor and the sartorius is a hip flexor and they both uh, originate on the pelvis and insert below the knee. Uh, So you you have quite an an extensive connection between the hip uh, or the pelvis, shall I say, and the and the knee joint. So pretty much, and then uh, even muscles at the hip that are not directly associated with the knee. So muscles like, for instance, gluteus medius or, you know, adductor magnus, adductor brevis, you know, some of those single joint muscles of the hip. Uh, generally, um, I would expect that they, um, you know, when, if someone has significant muscle wasting, like you say your client does in uh, around the operated leg, that they would be favouring that leg and using the other leg um, for, you know, like for instance, when pedalling on the bike, um, maybe pedals harder with the other leg. And so all of the muscles in the affected leg, even the ones that aren't knee muscles, all of them probably are not being used as uh, much as they uh, used to be, and so I've, I've probably become weaker. So basically, you're going to need to strengthen everything 
on that side of the body. Um, so the uh, the way, and given that it's three years post-operation, you know, all of the surgery is well and truly healed. So you can just basically um, give a strengthening program um, to strengthen every muscle in the lower body. And, uh, you know, you could do that a number of ways, but um, probably the biggest um, or biggest bang for your buck or the most effective use of your time would be to to do exercise, to do some combination of exercises that are going to work the whole leg as well as maybe some targeting um, uh, of certain muscles. Um, but I would, what I would do is probably just start with muscles that work the whole leg. Um, so anything that is uh, similar to a lunge or a squat or footwork, you know, something basically where you're, you know, you bend the ankle and the knee and the hip all at once and then extend the ankle, the knee and the hip all at once. So like a lunge or a step up or a step down or a squat or a, a, a scooter or a um, footwork on reformer, um, bend and stretch in the feet in straps. Um, so any kind of basic exercise like that is going to work the whole leg. So I, and uh, it sounds like if three years post-operation, this client uh, still has significant uh, muscle wastage on that affected side, it sounds like they're very likely favoring that. And uh, thus, if you give them exercises where they're using both of their legs at the same time, they're very likely to do more than half the work with their good leg um, and thus I would recommend you do one-legged exercises or exercises where each leg works on independent resistance. So if you're working working on mat or reformer, I would uh, go for like say uh, lunges or split squats, which is just basically a lunge, but you just go straight up and down. You don't step forwards and backwards. You just keep your feet in place. Um, or if you're uh, on a reformer, you can do a single leg footwork or sideline footwork. So basically single leg, whole leg exercises. Uh, and I would do those through as large of a range of motion as possible because as you strengthen through range, um, two benefits will accrue. Firstly, you will actually get more strength gains if you strengthen through full range. Um, and secondly, you'll get more range by strengthening through, through full range. So um, I would uh, squat her or, or lunge her or, uh, you know, side-lying footwork her um, as deep as possible. And uh, if there's a bit of discomfort, that's fine, um, you know, uh, and that should subside as she gets more or he gets more range um, and uh, I would work uh, ideally um, twice a week um, three times would also be great but uh, you know even once you'll get you'll get a re, you know you'll get improvement but um, you know twice a week on non-consecutive days would be ideal and uh, ideally uh, you would do say three or more sets of um, single leg, um, full range strength work uh, that takes this client very close to failure. So, um, uh, you know, sideline footwork um, with as many springs as they can tolerate um, and full range as much as possible and, you know, going to the point where they could, you know, they're like one or two reps from failure, basically, where they have to really grit their teeth and go to push the carriage out. 
or split squats or lunges or, you know, step ups or any other single leg exercise. I said squats before that was a misspeak. So not, not squats because I think, uh, very likely you'll see, um, or you may not pick up, but there probably will be some compensation there of just using the good leg and thus the, the leg that you're trying to rehab probably won't get, you know, its share of the work if you do a bilateral exercise like squats. Um, as far as targeting the VMO, uh, that is not necessary. Um, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a, 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 I guess a train of thought um, around the early 2000s that the VMO, which is the vastus medialis obliquus, that are, those are the distal fibres of the vastus medialis muscle, so the, the, the fibres of the inner quadricep that are f- furthest away from the pelvis, like closest down to the knee, um, that there was a thought that... Um, the school of thought that said that those fibres were really important for um, maintaining the tracking of the kneecap um, uh, and that selective targeting of those fibres uh, would be beneficial for knee rehabilitation. Uh, that wasn't borne out in the research. Um, it turns out that it's basically impossible to selectively activate the uh, the VMO um, by changing, you know, the leg position or cueing or anything like that, and you'll just get great VMO activation by just doing general quadriceps work. Um, so just basically anytime you're straightening the knee, the VMO is going to be working. So uh, I hope that helps, and uh, thanks for thanks for your question. Glad you're enjoying the the presentations. Next question comes from Nat, and it is about vertigo. She says, hi, Raph. Uh, I have a client who has suffered from vertigo in the past. I've been doing a bit of mat work Pilates with her and recently just tried her on the reformer. Her vertigo was so bad, she felt like vomiting and couldn't do more. We only did a few reps of footwork, and that was enough to set it off. Is this something we cover in the course, and how do we work with people who may come to a class with this issue? Why does this happen? Thanks. Kind regards, Nat. Um, and I'm going to smush this question together, Nat, with uh, a question from Nasli, who's got a very similar question. Um, she says, hello, I have a prospective Matt client contact me. 13 years ago, she was involved in a workplace accident. She was lifting and burst discs in her back, S1 and S2. She has bulges in her T3 and 4, and sometimes because of this, she experiences vertigo and can't swim, which has become her main form of exercise. I'd love some advice on what med exercises would be beneficial for her. Please. Thanks. Nasli. All right. So uh, basically, the, the commonality between these two questions is obviously the vertigo, which is induced in the case of Nat's client by being on a reformer, in the case of Nasli's client by um, swimming. Um, and so... Well, uh, first, um, I'm just going to zoom in on Nasli's question for a little moment to begin with, that uh, she, the client said she was lifting and burst discs in her back S1 and S2, which uh, uh, doesn't sound right. Um, there, this S1 and S2 refers to the sacrum, and the sacrum in humans is five fused vertebrae, so, uh, you know... I don't know how many hundreds of thousands or possibly millions of years ago, um, it was five separate bones, but over evolutionary time, it has uh, fused. That was literally, it was our tail when we were 
you know, tree dwelling. Um, but now it's become a single fused bone. So there are no discs in the sacrum. It's just a single piece of bone. So there is a disc between L5 and S1. L5 is the lowest um, bone in your low back. So it might be that one, um, or it you might be C1 and C2. Um, but mm, that wouldn't be right either because there's no disc in between C1 and C2, which are the first and second cervical vertebrae. Um, so anyway, that that uh, I think you know there's been some kind of um, error in translation there. Um, it, you, Nasley goes on to say she also has bulges in her T3 and T4, which are the upper thoracic, upper back. Um, so T3 and T4, so that would be one disc in between the T3 and T4. Um, and sometimes because of this, she experiences vertigo. Now, that doesn't compute to me. So um, there is uh, the symptoms that you would... Uh, well, number one, um, if you if there was nerve damage, so any damage to those discs is long since healed. Um, you know, discs are connective tissue. They uh, generally heal within uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, and um, actually, the more severe the injury to the disc, the more severe the bulge, um, the higher the probability of it healing. So, you know, it's, they're well and truly healed. Um, now, that's not to say that there's not any residual nerve damage, um, but if nerve damage in the sacrum would give symptoms in the leg, so you would have, you know, potentially, you know, muscle wasting or loss of sensation or altered sensation in the leg or, lo you know, uh, reduced ability to control the leg, um, but that wouldn't affect the you know, vertigo or dizziness, um, and then T3 and T4, which in your upper thoracic kind of between your shoulder blades or towards the top of your shoulder blades. Um, so if there was any nerve damage in that region, it would affect your back uh, and sort of around, you know, around your ribs uh, to your to the front of your rib cage. but it again would not affect your neck or your head and would not produce symptoms of vertigo. Um, so uh, my now, so that, you know, like I said at the start, there's something's been lost in translation, and maybe uh, you know, we uh, there were there was some injury to her neck, um, but unless that's the case, I my, I would suspect that actually those injuries are unrelated to her symptoms. Um, so she's experiencing vertigo and can't swim, and then there's this other client from Nat uh, Nat's client who's experiencing vertigo and can't get on a reformer. Um, and so, you know, uh, both of those sound similar, you know, uh, basically, you know, I can't, number one, I can't diagnose and number two, uh, even if I could diagnose, I can't diagnose these clients because, uh, I'd know virtually nothing about them, but, um, the symptoms sound similar to something called cervicogenic vertigo. So basically vertigo brought on by, uh, or related to, um, some kind of issue in the neck. Um, and basically that is something that is very poorly understood. So it's even, uh, some people consider it a controversial diagnosis. So what I would recommend for both of these clients, um, is, uh, a visit to, um, a vestibular physiotherapist. Uh, uh, if there is any difference but you know between the signals that people are receiving from their eyes 
the signals that they're receiving from their vestibular system and the proprioceptive feedback they're receiving uh, from their body um, as to position, then, uh, you know, that's what can result in vertigo. So a vestibular physiotherapist can uh, sometimes uh, help that. Um, and if they can't help, they may refer to an ear, nose and throat specialist. So uh, that's what I would recommend. Um, so uh, in terms of, uh, Nat, what do you do with your client? Do you know, do you keep working with the client? Yeah, absolutely keep working with the client, but just, okay, she she hates being on the reformer. <laughs> Don't do that move. Um, you know, see if she's comfortable on the reformer doing some upright positions, you know, maybe like, uh, you know, seated, you know, arm work on a box or that type of thing. If she's comfortable with that, great, do it, or lunges or things like that. If she's not comfortable, just stick to the mat work. She'll be happiest, Larry. If she, if she felt ill on the reformer, she'll have, um, you know, she won't feel like she's missing anything um, if you don't do reformer with her. Um, and uh, Nasli, in terms of your clients, um, I would just, uh, you know, re- refer, I would recommend that she goes to see a vestibular physio, same, same with Nat's client. But uh, in terms of what you can do uh, for her is you can encourage her and reassure her that that is an old injury. It's now long since healed and she's perfectly safe to, you know, do basically any form of exercise. Um, if she likes swimming, then that's awesome, but um, there's no need for her to avoid any other form of exercise like running or weightlifting or Pilates or dance or rock climbing um, on account of this injury, although maybe rock climbing and vertigo um, aren't a good mix. So maybe I'll withdraw my recommendation for that particular form of exercise. So I hope that helps. I'm sorry I'm not able to provide, you know, very specific guidance on what exercise to do because it's not very well understood. All right, Magda has a couple of questions. Um, uh, And the first one is, is there any research into the benefits of exercise for Alzheimer's? I'm guessing exercise or movement is good for everybody, but is there a prescribed level or intensity as a medicine for slowing the onset of Alzheimer's? Uh, well, Magda, this is an area that has been fairly well researched, and there are a few recent systematic reviews, like 2018 uh, vintage, um, that have, and the, the findings seem to be consistently slightly positive. So, um, there is low to no evidence that um, exercise can alter disease progression, like, you know, change biomarkers of, of disease. Um, but there's reasonably good evidence that exercise can slow um, the rate of cognitive decline and can even somewhat improve um, cognitive function Um uh, and also that exercise can improve uh, functional capacity, so improve people's ability to do daily activities, um, especially when it's combined with occupational therapy. Uh, as to what is the ideal amount and type of exercise, that's not currently known. Um, <laughs> the, the problem with giving exercise to people with dementia is it's very hard to you know, keep them on target and focused the whole time. So, um, you know, a lot of the studies suffered from fairly serious methodological challenges. Um, So, yeah, it's not really known. And in the absence of uh, anything to the contrary, uh, or any, you know, firm information to the contrary, I would, uh, as you suggest, I would default back to 
just the general recommendations for healthy adults, which are, I'm sure, as you know, um, at least 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity uh, cardio respiratory exercise. So basically brisk walking or equivalent where you're very slightly out of breath. Um, so 150 to 300 minutes a week of that or half as much of vigorous, um, which is if you basically run twice as fast, you can go for half as long. So vigorous exercise is where you're significantly out of breath. Um, so yeah, 150 minutes of moderate or 75 minutes of vigorous at least. Um, all that, and you know, if you're not doing that, you can start out with any any amount is better than nothing. So start with what's achievable. You know, maybe five minutes a day, two days a week, or something, and work up. You know, from there, uh, and then two to three resistance training sessions a week. Uh, and resistance training sessions defined as uh, bringing all the major muscles in the body to near fatigue. So basically, you know, working your legs and arms and abs and back to the point where you're nearly too tired to continue, but not quite. So, you know, if you're doing push-ups, don't do the maximum you can do, but stop a couple of reps before you have to stop. So that is uh, exercise for Alzheimer's. Um, And the last question I have is also from Magna, and it is hamstring strain. What is the best practice uh, re-rest and starting rehab. It seems to be a common injury and I'm wondering if it's important to be assessed by an exercise physiologist or a physio to get a rating of the injury or is simply a matter of resting, elevating, returning gently to movement and gradual exposure to load for strengthening. So uh, I would say that uh, unless the injury is so severe that basically walking is impossible, um, if that's the case, then I would yeah, probably go off and see a physiotherapist, not an exercise physiologist. Uh, physiotherapists specialize in acute injuries. Exercise physiologists uh, really work more with uh, chronic situations or post-acute injuries. So uh, phys- uh, physio is your best bet if the injury, if the if the uh, impairment is significant enough that basically walking is impossible. Um, but you know, if, if the person can hobble around. Um, uh, you know, the, 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 all that the physio is going to tell them is um, stay as active as possible. Um, and we know, uh, so there's there's not actually very good literature on specifically on hamstring rehabilitation, although it's a super common injury. There's heaps of literature on hamstring injury prevention, um, but virtually nothing on hamstring rehabilitation. So we just have to fall back on the general muscle injury rehabilitation literature, which is reasonably sparse, but um, you know fairly consistent. Uh, and what that suggests is that uh, basically there, you know, there are three phases of um, injury repair Um, and the first one is the inflammatory phase and that is when it is red hot and swollen and that is the very early phase and depending on the severity of the injury that might last you know a week or up to two weeks Um, and during that phase um, the main focus is to um, protect the uh, protect the injury site you know, um, to use the muscle um, lightly, or um, you know, or um, you know, preferably not completely avoid movement, but to use it, you know, very gently. Uh, use crutches if need be. You know, uh, limp if need be. Um, you know, avoid end range positions. Avoid excessive stretching. Um, you know, avoid anything that basically 
um, hurts it um, because the pain is probably a good signal, a good guide to uh, you know the right level of activity. Uh, and so let pain be your guide. And sort of within somewhere between the one and two week mark, um, this, the inflammation should start to subside. And at that point, uh, you're into what's called the uh, proliferation phase, which is basically where uh, you know new collagen fibers are laid down in the form of uh, basically a scar within the at the injury site to knit those parts of the muscle back together again. And during this phase, uh, it is a good plan to start uh, you know, gently uh, increasing the uh, the uh, neuromotor control of that muscle. So basically, try starting to try to walk normally on it, to um, you know, to not limp, um, to you know, use basically use it as as normally as possible within pain tolerance. So it might mean taking shorter steps, or you know not going upstairs or whatever, um, avoiding certain activities at this point still, but basically as much as possible trying to, you know, return to using it normally within just activities of daily living. And that period might last another kind of, uh, again, depending on the severity of the injury, you know, two to two to three weeks. Uh, and then, um, you know, over that uh, at that point as the you know the pain will subside a little more and you can start to progress the exercises so basically when they can walk normally you know without uh, pain they're ready to you know move to the next phase which is uh, where the tissue remodeling phase uh, comes in of healing with basically the the collagen continues to be laid down but it now starts to realign along the lines of force applied to the muscle uh, and that's where applying force to the muscle becomes really important so uh, starting to do <clears throat> excuse me targeted strengthening of the hamstrings um, both concentric and eccentric so both shortening and lengthening um, contractions um, you can even throw in some isometrics there as well but also don't forget to strengthen all of the other bits because you've been not using that leg for a month now so you know do some quadriceps strengthening and some calf strengthening and some hip strengthening and some inner thigh strengthening all of that um and again let pain tolerance be your kind of guide to the right level of activity and right range of motion uh, so you're going to want to you know do some stretching as well to, to build back the range of motion. But again, let pain um, be, be your guide. And I would expect that over maybe four weeks, you could, you know, get back to four to six weeks, you should be able to get back to, uh, you know, relatively full strength range of motion. So I would say, you know, the inflammatory phase, first one to two weeks, basically stay off it, um, you know, limp around and wince. Um, uh, then the... Uh, the proliferation phase, the neck, you know, this after after you've uh, after you can um, start to you know walk on it uh, a little bit, you know, start to the inflammation goes down a little bit. Um, that might be the next two to three weeks. You can start to hobble around on it, start to weight bear on it, try to to move as normally as possible, um, and you may need to take shorter steps or avoid certain you know movements or whatever. But just still try and you know move normally, and when you can walk normally um, without really noticing it, uh, that 
uh, kind of indicates the the start of the third phase, which is the remodeling phase, which is where you would start, you know, kind of a formal strengthening program and you would uh, include some stretches. And basically what you would strengthen would be obviously the hamstrings. So you want to do some bending and some straightening. Uh, and you would want to do um, basically quadriceps, calf and hip strengthening as well. So that is all for today. Thank you very much, all of you who uh, put in questions. And uh, I hope you find this helpful. And I look forward to speaking with you next time. Ciao, bye for now.